When you and Tom tell Mr. Riley about your problem. The Outline World Dispatch. Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a story on the theme of power, culture, or the future, handpicked from theoutline.com. Culture. So you brought this really interesting story that we ran recently um, about the pain acceptance movement. So um, how did you happen upon this as something that you were interested in, like, researching and writing about? Yeah, so I um, I heard about it because, you know, it's been getting a little bit more attention, certainly among uh professional medical circles, but also it's started to get some attention in the media. And so Sarah Cliff over at Vox has done some really interesting writing about kind of the fundamentals of what pain acceptance is. And I had read some of her work and I just really thought it was an interesting idea and something that, you know, was kind of an interesting addition to this ongoing kind of national conversation over the opioid epidemic. And I decided I really wanted to delve into the research that was being done on it. So go a little bit deeper into, you know, people who are um, pain specialists and pain researchers kind of, I wanted to talk to them about how they were thinking about it. Sure. And I mean, I think for me, some of the more um, powerful aspects of the story is you managed to talk to, talk to a few people who deal with chronic pain and are um, you know, trying to alleviate some of that through pain acceptance. So um, you start with the story of Gwen. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about Gwen and, and what happened to her, what her life is like? Yeah, so I did, yeah, as you said, I did speak to um, a number of uh, chronic pain, um, people who suffer from chronic pain to talk to them about what pain acceptance means to them. And one thing that is interesting is that it does mean, and it can mean different things to different people. Uh, so it sort of depends on who you ask. And I think that's why, um, you know, when you say pain acceptance, it, not everybody's always talking about the same thing. Um, but so this woman that I spoke with, Gwen, um, she is uh, somebody who, when she was 42 years old, she was in a car accident that left her with, you know, severe excruciating pain um, throughout her body that really upended her life and just changed everything. And I spoke with her about, you know, what acceptance meant to her. And, you know, she would say that she believes acceptance is, is important because basically what she told me was that, you know, after she had this accident, she was in constant pain all the time and it was really horrific. And it, you know, prevented her from doing all of these things that she used to be able to do, like really, um, you know, do activities with her kids, um, basic things like driving, uh, going grocery shopping, cooking. And she said that that was really, really hard to deal with in its own right. But when we talked, she also said that another part of the suffering that she experienced was just the emotional and, and the grief of, of losing this former identity. She said that, you know, for years of her life, she could not accept that this had happened. It just seemed surreal. It just seemed like she couldn't come to terms with the fact that she would not be able to go back to the way her life was. And now she believes that, you know, that kind of unwillingness to accept and come to terms with what the accident had done was something that really compounded and made everything worse. Um, and, so she described to me a, a gradual process where she started to accept that, you know, her body was different, her life was different, and was never going to go back to the way that it was, but that rather than fight that and, you know, sort of 
feel like she was stuck in the past. She had to kind of come to terms with that and figure out how she could live in, you know, the way she described it as sort of the body that she has now. Um, And she said that that was really sort of this emotional and psychological component to the aftermath of this accident that she feels like was really important uh, in helping her deal with her pain. And so now she's at a point in her life um, where, you know, she still has chronic pain and she uses a variety of, you know, she manages that pain in a variety of ways. It's certainly not, uh, you know, I don't want to give the impression that she just changed her attitude about it because that's not what this is. It's just a component of of kind of dealing with pain. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly there's some controversy around the idea of pain acceptance. And I think what's interesting to me, I mean, you talk about this process that Gwen, that Gwen went through of sort of accepting her body as it is now and some of the other um, people that you spoke to, I feel like talked about it in a similar way where um, it seems like a lot of the controversy is sort of circling around this idea that that what's happening is people are telling patients to just kind of get over it or accept that they're the fact of their pain. And it seems to me that maybe a more helpful way to think about pain acceptance as a movement is that it's less about accepting the fact of your physical pain than it is accepting the consequences of a life of chronic pain, right? And those whether those be like logistical or emotional um, that that that's that's more what they're being urged to accept instead of you know the physical suffering. Yeah, I think that is that um, is a good way of putting it. And I think you know I think one of the key parts is that it's not you know when I talk to um, people who advocate for acceptance, whether it's people who have chronic pain themselves or um, medical uh, professionals, doctors and researchers, one thing they stressed was it's not about giving up hope. It's not about saying, um, you know, this is, it's not about sort of saying I'm resigned to this or there's no hope left in my life. It's not about hopelessness. It's actually about trying to get to a point where you can live your life um, as best as you possibly can even though there might still be pain. So the end goal um, of pain acceptance is not helpless resignation. It's, um, you know, how do you, uh, how do you work around the pain almost? How do you deal with it in a way that you can still do the things uh, that you want to do, even if maybe you have to do them a bit differently than you would have done um, before? Sure. And so, I mean, just to, to, Address the controversy um, around this to dig into that a little bit deeper. Uh, one thing I noticed is that you primarily or I think exclusively talk to women. And I'm curious about um, how the pain acceptance movement, is there any research on how this breaks down in terms of gender or um, socioeconomic class or race? Is this is pain acceptance something that is being urged um, in disproportionate ways depending on who the patient is? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think... I tried to dig into that um, a bit in my reporting and, you know, how does this experience of pain acceptance differ maybe for men and women? And a couple of things that I found were that, um, you know, statistically women are more likely than men to say that they experience from experience chronic pain. And that's a statistic from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And so I think, um, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, why that would be the case, but without, um, but, but that being said, it is possible. And certainly I found, 
um, when I was just looking for people to talk to, I found um, a lot of women that wanted to talk. And, you know, I don't know if that's reflective of an overall trend, but if women um, do suffer disproportionately from chronic pain, then it may also be the case that there are more women who, you know, are um, either hearing from uh, doctors or pain experts that they should uh, consider pain acceptance or maybe thinking about pain acceptance. But in terms of, you know, if the question though is can pain acceptance, you know, help kind of anybody, I think that from um, from the people that I spoke with in the article, I, I spoke with one um, person who he works with uh, chronic pain patients and he tries to help them uh, essentially, you know, become more accepting of their pain. And, you know, he told me that this is something that can can work and is used uh, used with men, women, and adolescents, and even could be used with children. Um, because we're not talking about, you know, administering medication. It's more about um, really sort of a behavioral therapy in some cases. Um, so I don't think it's exclusive to, to women. Is pain acceptance therapy covered under insurance? Yes. So when... Um, so the, the therapy that I wrote about in my article is called acceptance and commitment therapy, and that's um, a therapy that can be used. Uh, it can be used to treat different things, not always just pain. It can. Um, that's actually it, it's a, a therapy that kind of emerged out of cognitive behavioral therapy, and it essentially kind of stresses that people should come to. Its its goal is to help people come to terms with adversity and adverse experiences in their life and commit to participating in valued activities in their life despite adversity. And it's um, not solely used for chronic pain. It can be used for treating things like depression um, as well. But in the context of chronic pain, uh, yes, insurance would typically cover it um, because it would most likely just be classified as you know, uh, behavioral uh, health. So if you have an insurance provider that covers um, really, you know, seeing a therapist or seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist, uh, then most likely it would be covered. Okay. So ideally, it seems like pain acceptance is something that happens in concert with, um, you know, a, a drug regimen. It's not, the idea isn't that people are going to stop needing pain medication if they successfully complete some regimen of, of pain acceptance therapy, right? It's it's probably something that's going to happen in a more holistic sense. Yes, I think most commonly it will be happening in a holistic sense in terms of how people are actually applying this to their lives. You know, the people um, that I talked to, so yeah, I spoke with one woman who is, uh, you know, she has participated in this particular type of therapy that I described, acceptance and commitment therapy. And, you know, the way she described it is basically that she feels like it has been helpful for her, but it's just one part of how she deals with and manages her pain. And it's not, you know, she said it's not even, she would not say it's the most significant way she deals with it. She said it's something that helps her. It's something that um, has been helpful, but there are times when, you know, it would definitely not be enough on its own. And she continues to take, um, you know, pain relievers uh, and do a number of other things, uh, whether it's sort of diet and exercise uh, to support groups to, to manage her pain. So I, I think her experience is probably, um, to your point, a good way of thinking about how a lot of people, you know, 
um, are kind of experiencing this not as a substitute for anything, but as something that exists alongside um, a number of options. But at the same time, I do want to mention that but there are some, uh, you know, pain and addiction specialists who are trying to look at this question, and it's really an emerging area of research that hasn't been definitively established, but are trying to look at this question of could increasing somebody's acceptance of pain help decrease reliance on opioids? So the idea that it might be an alternative is certainly something that the medical community is interested in exploring, but in the day-to-day experience of, I think, people who... Um, you know, are using acceptance equipment therapy, like you said, I think it's a holistic part of of pain management. Sure. And I mean, you know, again, I think that's probably where a lot of the um, controversial responses or the understanding that this is a controversial thing is coming from is it's being presented as a way to deal with the op- opioid crisis. And I think a lot of people understand that as, oh, we're going to um, stop giving people pain medication and we're going to send them to therapy instead, which is not precisely what's being described here. Yes, definitely. And I think in in a way, um, you know, it's it's it almost would be like I think part of the um, part of what I think is interesting about the idea of pain acceptance is it's sort of this idea that there isn't just one kind of cure and you have to think about pain in Um, a more nuanced way as something that you can do things to try to relieve, to try to work around, but you might not be able to um, get rid of it entirely. So I think even the framing that, oh, you would just substitute pain acceptance for opioids is almost contrary to the whole idea of it because it's sort of, I think the whole idea is sort of there is no panacea. So the so the researchers that you spoke to who are who are looking into this, is it difficult in that, I mean, it's very hard to think about pain objectively, right? I mean, it's such a subjective personal experience. Um, does that play into like the research at all? How do you how do you measure somebody someone else's pain? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think you're right. I mean, it is a very subjective experience and it's not um, something that's easily kind of measured in a standardized way. Um, there are certain ways of measuring it um, or that people attempt to measure it, you know, one um, one way is the zero to ten pain scale that has been commonly used in uh, doctors' offices and in hospitals, where um, you know a patient will come in and they'll be asked on a scale of zero to ten, zero being you know no pain or minimal pain, and ten being you know the worst pain imaginable. Where do you fall? Um, but obviously, as you could imagine, you know different people might interpret that differently or think about that differently. So inherently it is a, a you know, challenging thing to measure. As far as in, in the research that I looked at, um, I'm sure that that is uh, part of what makes this difficult. And, you know, I think there's, there's one metric that, you know, some of the research that I looked at that tries to measure how people think about their pain, how they accept it, which that's also something that's probably difficult to measure. You know, how do you, if you want to study this, how do you actually measure what it even means to accept pain? And so one of the things that some of the researchers use is this questionnaire that will ask people questions about how they think about their pain. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but things that kind of get at this question of like, do you think about your pain as something that you need to get rid of completely before you start kind of living life again? Or do you think about it as something that is 
is, is sort of there, but it's not going to prevent you from kind of living life in a way that you want to. And some of the research that I looked at will, you know, assess people based on how they respond to those questions to, to determine how accepting they are of their pain. But yeah, as you could imagine, you know, I think it's difficult to measure uh, that kind of thing. Sure. And again, I mean, I, you know, I keep going back to this idea that for me, um, I mean, and, and I'm not a person who suffers from chronic pain, so who knows. Um, but it does seem to me like it would be um, a helpful compliment not necessarily um, in terms of dealing with, you know, the physical fact of suffering, but how uh, chronic pain can sort of interrupt the rest of your life. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I, I spoke with another another woman who has chronic pain, and I ended up, um, this isn't in my story, um, because, you know, of course, I talked to a lot of people, and not everybody uh, made it into the final story, but one thing that she said that stuck with me was, you know, she talked about how she really loves to travel and that's kind of a passion of hers in life. And when she started experiencing chronic pain, it was really devastating to her that initially she felt like she just couldn't get on a plane anymore because it was, you know, too uncomfortable uh, to be on a long plane ride um, given the pain that she experienced. And she said that she, as she herself worked through this um, process of acceptance, she eventually got to a point where she just sort of decided, okay, you know what, maybe I can't get on a, a five-hour plane ride that like I used to. Maybe that's impossible for me now, but maybe I could travel some other way. Maybe I could go on a cruise or maybe I could, um, you know, think about ways that I could travel shorter distances. And I think that kind of gets at what pain, it, that's sort of a good example of, of kind of the you know, how kind of pain acceptance can play out is kind of adaptability through. Yeah. Thinking through how you adapt. Yeah. You know, burgeoning, burgeoning research. I'm sure there'll be uh, a lot of opportunities to figure out how people are going to uh, make it evil. Yeah. (laughs) It's a fun thing about 2018. You always get to figure out how people make something evil. Indeed. Well, (laughs) I really appreciate you guys talking with me about it. Oh, thank you so much. It was so nice to have you on. And uh, like I said, really fascinating story. And I'm so glad that uh, we got to run it on the website. Yeah, I'm really, it was really um, interesting reporting it. So thank you again. Thanks for your interest. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Dispatch. We're produced by the phenomenal James T. Green. I'm Brandy Jensen. <laughs>